Hello, and welcome to another exciting podcast on Honest Unearthing, where we work together to get the truth out. This episode features Lakota Native American teachings on values, culture, the history of Sintagleska University, Battle of Little Bighorn, and Tshunkawitko, Chief Crazy Horse, the Sechongu tribe origin story, broken treaties, inspiring protests, and prophecy. I'm your host, Jenna, and I'm here with a wonderful, exciting guest. I'm so happy to share uh, her life with you. Hello. So, where do you, um, where are you from? I'm from a small community in the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. Oh, that's really interesting. So, uh, what do you do? I'm a health inspector for the Indian Health Service. Wow, that's so cool. So, how long have you been doing that? I've been doing that for the past seven years. Seven years. So, uh, where are you from originally? I am basically from a small community in Black Pipe. Um, I'm originally from South Dakota, born and raised. South Dakota is such a beautiful state. You're so lucky. (laughs) So what was it like growing up there? It was fun. Uh, We lived in a small community. I would say less than 200 people. 800 people um, and it was a small reservation community next to a township called Norris and you know we were very humble at beginnings and small schools one store one gas station so it was very tiny wow that's so interesting so what sort of traditions did you guys practice or Uh, Do you learn a lot of history about uh, Native American culture in school there? A lot of the teachings of the Native American history and culture we've learned at home. A lot of the teachings back in, you know, in my early days in elementary school, it wasn't really taught in school, so a lot of it had to come from home. And we actually lived it, so it wasn't like you learn it, it's basically like an oral tradition and then you, you actually live the culture. In the tradition. Interesting. So one of the things that you'd mentioned you'd like to talk about was the history of, do you say, Sinteglesca University? So uh, why is the history of this university important and what can you tell us about this? The history of Sinteglesca University, I think it was established in 1973 if I'm not mistaken. Um, and basically it was the first tribal Um, University on the Rosebud Reservation, and it was established to further the education of of, um, Native people, and I actually got my Bachelor of Science degree there, and so I am an alumni of 2012. Oh, wonderful. So, something that I love talking about is college and universities and why we're going to school and, and the value of our education versus the cost. So, I did some research into Sinteglesca, and I found that the person who, Sinteglesca was from, born in 1823, and played a large part in 
encouraging education and also had raised concerns of bilingual and bicultural education and that was why the university was named after him. Yeah, definitely. His name was Chief Spotted Tail. Mm. And the founder of our university is um, Lionel Bordeaux. And he established the, the need for the education system on a reservation. It, was, it didn't have a university. And it started as a college, actually, just a, a grassroots college. And then it evolved to becoming accredited. So. Wonderful. Did you have a lot of people that go to, that went to that school with you? Yes. Yes. Actually, oh. I, a lot of the people I went to college with, I'm still friends with today. Um, I actually worked for my previous professor. He's my boss now. Oh, that's so fun. Oh my gosh. So I guess the cost of your education certainly matched the value, Definitely. I'd say. It did. So do you have specific classes on uh, like Native American heritage offered at your university? Of course, there's like history and culture, there's language, um, there's one called health. It's where like um, you learn about the health, um, the basic herbs and stuff too that you heal with and also ceremonies. You learn about the ceremonies. Um, there's even a class where you learn how to sing in Lakota, beadwork, um, you can make drums, just all, there's just a plethora of information and classes you can take to learn about the Lakota culture. Oh, so for the listeners who don't know, um, who are the Lakota people? Oh, the Lakota people are the Sichangu Lakota Oyate, and there are actually three different dialects in the culture or in the area, the region, which are the Nakota, the Dakota, and the Lakota, which are located in South Dakota. And they all have different dialects, and that's how you can tell where each um, individual is from. Oh, that's so cool. So, um, what do you think would be really interesting to know about Lakota culture to some people who have never heard of it? I think the most interesting thing about Lakota culture and the history of it is, um, I guess, our resilience, you know, through going through all of, of, you know, the passage of time of the history of what, you know, the massacres, you know, all of the residential school, um, you know, all of those things, we've all grown through that and we, we've all learned about it. But I think the, ba the basic thing about being Lakota is just the tight-knit family, the closeness that we have, you know. So that's what's most, I feel, is the best thing about being a Lakota. That is so heartwarming. Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of massacres, um, you had me research uh, the Battle of Little Bighorn, which sent me on a whole education spree. And I learned about so much. Thank you so much for suggesting all of these topics. and. I found the leaders of the Battle of Little Bighorn, Sitting Bull, and Crazy Horse. They were so inspiring, such amazing people, and the history behind their lives was just, it was so interesting to read about. Um, I know our listeners would find um, Crazy Horse's first love story to be very interesting. Have you heard of it? No, actually, um, that is one of the stories I've never heard of. We actually, um, 
a lot of the things that you know chief crazy horse which is tashunka wipko that's how you say crazy horse he is a venerated warrior and um usually you don't really talk about the private lives of the warriors or the leaders it's kind of like a you just you know you have to yeah it's not for public um but you know the stories and stuff that you've probably read about were you know um what do you call it dramatized or oh okay. so like uh, our people we don't even like really know any of that stuff so what can you tell me about um chief crazy horse um well chief crazy horse is from the Oglala Sioux tribe which is a neighbor tribe it's like a different location where all Lakota Sioux and the Oglalas are our neighbors there from Pine Ridge and he was one of the the last uh, chiefs to I don't even really think that he surrendered at all he was just caught and he was jailed and um, he was assassinated he was assassinated and um so he was our last warrior you know to stand up against the you know yeah the soldiers i guess right that's what's so inspiring about his stories um uh, also i liked the the story behind how he got his name um so what's your interpretation of that story um i guess you can share with me the interpretation <laughs> i guess i just heard um i guess of old folklore about his name you know that he i don't know like <laughs> so light hair oh yeah nice oh yeah really light hair i, yeah. I read about that yeah that <laughs> yeah, was uh, so his nickname was his nickname in Lakota, I don't know how to say it, but it meant straight hair because his hair was curly, naturally curly. Oh. So I read that he had rode off into the prairies on a fishing quest and he was fasting for two days when he had the vision of an unadorned horseman who had directed him to never take anything for himself. <laughs> yes, that does sound about right. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a very uh, generous leader. Yeah. Um, it was really wonderful to learn about him. So I'm, I'm more interested in learning about some stories that you know that would be exciting to share with our listeners. Well, I guess I could talk about the name. Our, we are the Sichangu Lakota, so I could talk about how we got our name. Yeah. Sichangu, which is... Sichangu is... Um, it means burnt thigh, mm. and the Oyate means nation. So the burnt thigh nation is is the name of our Tioshbae, uh, which means oh, everybody in this region. So Tioshbae means everyone who lives here. So Sichangu, how the how it got its name was there was a um, there was some sort of like war going on or some sort of battle and the women and children were on this side of the field and the warriors were on this side of the field and there was a fire and so the warriors came and they they went through the fire to save people and they carried them they carried people and oh. then they burned their legs wow and so that's how they're called the burnt thigh nation 
what a beautiful story of unity. So I read that um, the Battle of Little Bighorn was where uh, two groups were united against the federal government. Um, what two groups were those? Like, what do you mean? Was it Cheyenne, Northern Cheyenne? Is that the group? Or um, was it the Sioux? Um, the Battle of Little Bighorn is basically a culmination of tribes that came together to fight against Custer and his um, brigade. Oh, I see. So the beginning might have been the, um, is it the Cheyenne and the Arapaho, but actually what had happened was they sent out um, tribes from all, all around. So actually all the, all the Sioux tribes around this area all got together defeated Custer in his brigade. Oh, that's amazing. What a great story of victory for the Native Americans. And we actually celebrate that victory at our Rosebud Fair. Really? Yeah, so we have a, it's called a Wachipi, or you know it as a powwow. Whoa. It's a dance. Have you ever heard of um, the powwow? We call them Wachipis, but it's basically a victory against Custer and, and his brigade or the soldiers. <laughs> that sounds really the fun. Enemy. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> that sounds really fun though. How did that victory lead to the Sioux and Cheyenne being confined to reservations? Well basically when you have a big battle like that and then you know there's actually folklore um, stories from the elders that tell us you know why why we're on reservations and why we are where we are. Um, and some of those stories are our oral traditions. Um, but basically, we are on reservations because that's where the US government put us. And we had like rations and things of like that. You know, this was the beginning of the 1900s. So a lot of the places on my reservation are still there today, but they don't look the same as they did back then. But, you know, we have our own sovereign sovereignty and our own tribal government. We have a tribal president, you know, and all of those things. Oh, I wasn't aware there's a tribal president. Yeah, there's a tri it's all encompassing. We have, you know, a council. We have, uh, for each community, we have a council representative. We have our own government inside the tri tribal nation. And each area, because there are seven, it's called the seven council fires. So there are, you know, the Rosebud, Sisseton, um, Cheyenne, Yankton, Pine Ridge, um, Eagle Butte, Lower Brule, Crow Creek. Those are the seven uh, areas. And those are broken up, like I said before, with the Lakota, Dakota, Nakota. And they all have linguistic dialects to separate us. Mm. And we all have our own government and we all have our own sovereignty. So how is your government different from the U.S. government. We have our own tribal laws and our own bylaws. We have our own police department. We have our own uh, land management. Um, but I don't know how else to explain it other than it's, it kind of mimics the U.S. government in a way, but we have our own traditions. Um, like we have our own holidays, say. So like if you celebrate Columbus Day, we call that Indian Day. Interesting. So, 
do you guys have a similar voting process? Yes, we actually do. It's even the technology from the reservations has increased so much that we actually have the um, electric ballot now. And we actually do elections just like, you know, just like the government does or just like the United States does. So do you have one president for all the U.S.? No, for just for the Rosebud tribe. And then there'd be a president for Pine Ridge. And there'd be a president for Cheyenne, Eagle Butte. There'd be a president. You know, they have their own um, government. And, like, they have, like, their own... Um, way of running as well like you have things change like you know you know the we even have like it's called it's kind of like the constitution but it's not it's it's not called the constitution it's mostly called the bylaws Mm -hmm. Um, and those are changing but they have to go through council and there are 20 council members and they all are like the representatives for the communities Interesting. So, could you think of an example of a law that's unique? Jurisdiction. So, if a non-member comes onto the reservation and say commits a a crime, then the it'll go to the state. Or, for example, another law would be um, the Indian Child Welfare Act. You know, just different different types of laws that. Are specific to our tribe. So, does your tribe have to follow like the same hunting and fishing? We laws? actually have our own game fishing parks. Oh, that's wonderful. Within our tribe, it's very unique, and it's not like we're bound by those um, borders, but we are. We live, you know, within every city. You know, we follow the same laws as the city we're next to, or we actually. Um, and then the people who visit our, you know, tribe, some of those laws might not apply to them. So like if you came to our tribe and was speeding, you know, there's really not much we could do about that. Interesting. It all depends on um, where they're at. If they're on the highway, but it's going through a reservation, the tribal cops can stop them. It's for a state cop to come in mm-hmm. and arrest them. Um, so the laws are very, jurisdiction oriented does that make sense yeah that does make sense um oh i know i was wondering when you are born do you have like on your birth certificate that you're a part of a tribe no no you have to enroll interesting you have to enroll into the tribe you have to get all the paperwork to enroll so there's a a department that handles that basically when you're born it's just like how you are you have you're born in a city and you have to go to that courthouse and file for a birth certificate. Oh, I, I haven't had any babies, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say how beautiful your jewelry is as well. Thank you. Yeah. For those who can't see, she has beautiful rings and necklaces. <laughs> <laughs> so we are currently in the Rushmore Hotel, which upon preparing for this interview, I learned some very surprising information about Mount Rushmore. I, I suppose that you probably are anticipating what I'm going to share, but what what do you think about Mount Rushmore? Mount Rushmore has, when I was a kid, it was amazing and it was, um, you know, spectacular. And they taught us about the, you know, the process of the art of it. 
However, nowadays, it is basically a defacement of our, because um, the Black Hills is our ceremonial sacred place. So basically the, the rock that the Rushmore is on is actually the place where we call our six grandfathers. And before it was created, was destroyed. So a lot of the places in in the Black Hills are are the Lakota people's sacred places, and it has controversy from my community because of that. So, were the was the mountain that Mount Rushmore was carved into originally part of the reservations? Yes, but we did lose. Or it is not. It's hard to dis, it's hard to explain a land on the Black Hills because we don't, as Lakota people, we don't own it. Or we don't take ownership of land. It is we are we just on the land. So the Lakota people with the land and stuff, we don't um, desecrate what we don't own because we don't own the land. The land is given to us to care for, to harvest, to feed our animals, to feed our crops, to uh, feed our family and stuff. And it, it's just, um, you can't own something that's not given to you. We were not placed on this earth to take what doesn't belong to us. We are here to preserve it, save it, and not contaminate it. Respect it. Pretty much respect it. That's, there's a lot that we all can learn from that statement. Thank you so much for sharing. No problem. That's my cousin. <laughs> yeah. And as I'm driving into South Dakota, I see these signs of Mount Rushmore. And all I was thinking is, I hope they get the Crazy Horse Monument built fully soon and we can replace those signs. <laughs> so yeah, Mount Rushmore, as it is a tourist attraction, it doesn't hold very much weight in the Lakota community, if you will. I could see that, yeah. I'm just, I was so surprised to learn all of that about a national park. A lot of national parks in the United States, if you're not um, in tune with the history of it, is actually on, you know, sacred. Are, are the sacred places that the people who first lived here used and prayed and um, you know had their ceremonies on. So a lot of the national parks that are in South Dakota, you know, people don't know that and they don't respect it. And uh, that's the unfortunate part of it. And uh, but hope because if you've seen that um, there was a place called Harney Peak, if you did any interesting research on that. It was recently changed its name to Black Elk Peak. And Black Elk was a chief that he was venerated in our tribe as a spiritual leader. And he was actually, he got his degrees and he, you know, wrote books. So if you ever get a chance to read Black Elk Speaks, that speaks a lot about our culture and history. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. Um, so I was recently at a museum and something came up that I thought we should share on this podcast. And have you heard of the Arizona Snowball Resort about 15 miles from Flagstaff? No. 
No. Uh, so, with the Hopi people, they said it was a sacred landscape, and they turned it into a ski resort and made... Uh, they used reclaimed sewage water to make fake snow on a sacred mountain, and there was a video, and, and the, the tribesman who was speaking said that it was just a complete desecration to a sacred landscape, and a threat to the health of the future Hopi people. And given your career, I thought you might find that interesting from the health aspect. That is very interesting and very uh, disturbing. Isn't it? Very disturbing. I, I feel like a lot of people think that some of the injustices are all in the past. And when you really start to look at it, it's still happening now where the natives are losing land that was given to them. And, you know, what I found to be really inspiring was, um, what is it, the, the Longest Walk? Yes. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? Is that the one with the Trail of Tears? Oh, no, no. Um, so, the Longest Walk, ah, it was in 1978, and... Oh, I see, yes. Yes, yes, and... Uh, there was actually two longest walks, and that was associated with the American Indian Movement. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so this is where they walked to Washington, D.C., right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember now. It's all coming back to me. <laughs> From San Francisco, they, they started on Alcatraz. So the first one was 3,200 miles, and the second one was 8,200 miles. And for those of you who are on the metric system, that's... 13,200 kilometer walk starting from San Francisco to Washington and I found that to be so inspiring that they united over a hundred American Indian nations as well as indigenous participants from other countries as well to all make a statement that the Native Americans need to be treated better and not only treated better but just being visible Acknowledged. Being um, respected in public spaces, within media, within, you know, just anywhere. I think that's the big thing that I wanted to come on the podcast and say that, you know, we are still here and we're not, you know, still living in teepees or we're non-existent. We're actually still here. Oh, of course. It, I feel like there's so much we can learn as well. Um, and one of my greatest fears is that that knowledge will be lost. Um, I remember we were in Utah looking at petroglyphs, and it was so hot, and I was, I was just trying to understand how people had survived there. And when you go in Southern Cali uh, Colorado and you see Mesa Verde, and you know, they had to climb to these cliff dwellings. And I was like, can they teach us some climbing skills, please? Because <laughs> they were very good, <laughs> very talented. So what sort of special talents do the Lakota have that we might be able to learn from as well? Um, a lot of Lakota have star knowledge. So mm -hmm. they actually, which is kind of like moved, um, which is kind of like brought down from, you know, our elders the star knowledge and you know just knowing about certain herbs and natural plants of where we live our healing properties 
Cool. A lot of us are, um, I guess there's a lot of, there's still a lot of ceremonies that are conducted to heal um, in a very sacred way that uses the earth to heal you instead of traditional medicine. So that would be like the sweat lodge if you've heard of those. Oh, yeah. Or um, what other ceremonies? the Sundance, which is once a year, that's our main, um, I wouldn't really call it a religion, it's more of a, it's, yeah, it's like a, a sacrifice that those who are called make every year, and um, yeah, those are important because they pray for all of us, not only people in their family, but everybody, every tribe, yeah. Oh, so how long is the Sundance? Four days. Four days. Wow. And they prepare for a year. You prepare for a year for that ceremony. That's so fun. So a four day long uh, dance. And would you get like off of school for this? It's usually during, not done during the summertime. And people okay. get, they call it religious leave oh. from their work. So they don't get um, penalized for it. They get compensated for that. So, so how many people go? A whole family, a whole Teoshwai, a whole, like a whole region, like say the community of like say Black Pipe, they all have a, their own Sundance and the community of Grass Mountain, they have their own Sundance and then, you know, and uh, certain families have Sundances and they're very, very sacred. They are very, like there are so many rules and um, requirements and it's, it's, you know, I've known about it my whole life, and I was a toddler, and I was at a Sundance. You know, it was one of my earliest memories was taking one of the red sacred sticks that has a tobacco tie on it, and taking that home, and that's a prayer inside of it. It's a, a red stick with a tobacco tie on the end, and it surrounds the circle. So what is the prayer for? The prayer is for health, healing, um, not only physical, but mental. Um, if you're grieving, if you lost somebody, those prayers are there too. It's just anything and everything that you would need prayers for is in that tobacco time or in that moment, in that those four days. Wow, that sounds very healthy for your mental health. Yes, it is. <laughs> Which I would, in my opinion, I think the Western medicine hasn't had a very good solution for mental health and that might be something that we could also learn from Native Americans is how some of these prayers give you comfort during grief. <laughs> Definitely, I agree. Um, there are practicing and non-practicing Native Americans that live on the reservations and unfortunately that's just the way it you know sometimes is. So certain families might have individuals that do not attend the Sundance for whatever reason, but you know, it's a it's a wonderful time and everybody respects it. So, do you have a do you make an, a new outfit every year? No, your outfit is made by your family, and it is very plain. And it is you don't bring it out until you go to dance. Oh, it's very different than the powwow. It's very different. The powwow is for it to be seen. The Sundance is to pray, and you are close to the earth, close mm -hmm. to the earth, because you you don't 
eat or drink for four days. You don't um, wow. talk to your family for four days. It's a sacrifice. Oh, so it's a silent festival? You don't speak. Um, the drum is the only thing that, and the singers are the only ones that um, are able to talk. Yeah. Or not really talk, but a voice. They're the only voice that you hear. Wow. So how does it feel during the Sundance? Like, what, what do you think about? Like, how do you feel before and after? Um, uh, I've only been to one Sundance, and the Sundance that I did go to, um, I have a lot of mental issues, and when I was there, it was overwhelming, um, exciting, um, just, you have all these emotions coming at you, and af after the four days and stuff, after hearing the drums and seeing the people and stuff, um, you're relaxed, you're calm, you're more open to the following year. Yeah, it, it just, it uh, clears your mind of your, your thoughts and your negative thoughts and your doubts and all of it. You don't know it's happening. You don't expect it to happen. It just happens. So not eating or drinking water for four days. Those are the dancers. Those are the dancers. Oh. The ones that are there to support, support and help out and stuff. Um, they they do have traditional um, outfits that they have to wear. Women have to wear dresses. Men have to wear. You know, we we all have to stay covered and everything. But what the ones that are watching, they're mentality is um, a different aspect than the ones that are dancing. You still get the calmness, you still get the um, at ease moments, you still get you know all of that, all these emotions coming at you and stuff and then everything just clearing out of your mind just like the dancers do. So it, it just it works the same but different to everybody. Our point of view is only from the support aspect because both me and my cousin have never sundanced before, never been in the circle. We've been outside of the circle in, in the arbor, you call it. It's the support system. And um, so our perspective is only as the support system, not the dancers themselves, because that's a whole different um, mentality you have to Spirituality. There you go. It's a whole different spirituality when you're a dancer as opposed to somebody who's supporting the dancer. I can see why resilience would be such a defining characteristic because that takes an incredible amount of resilience and dedication. And I'm so happy to learn about this. <laughs> so what was the other festival that you mentioned? You said the Sundance and... So powwow. powwow. Yeah, the powwow is basically each community or region has a celebration. Ours is basically the Battle of Little Bighorn, or they call it the Battle of the Grease on the Greasy Grass, and that's where we um, defeated Custer and the soldiers. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we it's called our Victory Day. Uh, we also have a holiday for that where nobody goes to work. Um, 
the powwow has different dances, different people have regalia. Um, there's like men's fancy, men's traditional, women's traditional, women's jingle dress. Just all of these different types of dances that come from different areas. Like some of the some of the styles of dances come from Alaska. Some could come from the Southwest. Some could come from Canada. Some could come from the Lakota Sioux. It could come from um, you know different places. Just the styles and the, the regalia. We all borrow um, you know styles and, and um, you know different kind of um, dance techniques. Techniques. Uh, dance steps. Basically, the dances um, can be defined uh, for the uh, grass dancers, the main grass dancers. They're usually the first ones out to lay out the grass, to flatten down the grass and stuff where the dancers are going to dance. The jingle dress for the women is the awakening of our ancestors. So there's different meanings to different styles of the regalia that we wear. Um, mainly uh, tra traditional men's and women's are basically what I'd say 15% of each tribe wears. Yep. So there's not really a lot of traditional dancers. They're all um, different, uh, like the fancy for both men and women, um, the hoop dancers. And yeah, it, it's, it's nice to look at. It's very beautiful, very colorful, and everything. And it, it's something to go watch if you're ever able to go watch a puddle. Oh, so the Sundance is, you can't go watch those if you're not in the tribe. Interesting. You have to be invited. Oh, okay. That's really cool. I'm glad you have that, you know, just for your community. And thank you so much for sharing so much about it as well. It's very inspiring, you know, I, I think a lot of people, maybe when they're up in the mountains, can think about how it's traditional to go four days without food or water. And in addition, you know, they've walked so many thousands of miles, I'm sure that we can finish the 20 mile hike that we have planned for the weekend. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> Yeah, so I was also wondering, what are some of these herbs that you had mentioned that are of healing properties? Definitely. Um, so the main one that we use is sage. Sage. And there are so many different types of sage that I can't really think of it off the top of my head. But sage is burned to cleanse the air, to cl cleanse the um, spirit. Yeah, the spirit that. So we all carry within ourselves a mood. We all carry a and when you burn sage and you basically um, smudge. when you smudge yourself it cleanses you it like pulls all, everything out just, all the negative yep and it it clears the air so to speak oh um, the other ones are like echinacea um, sweetgrass sweetgrass something a tea called um, chiaka which is a, a sacred tea that we drink that um just helps restore the nutrients and um, just there's so many others that I just can't think of off the top of my head but you know uh, there's also a root called um, what is that root? Um, Timsala. Timsala. Timsala and we dig that up in a certain season and you can cook cook with it it's like a for soups you can eat it raw 
these are just our, our you know, things that we, we do yearly. The yucca plant. Yucca. There's something called oh. bear root that helps with um, pain management. Um, there's just so many that I can't think of at the moment. Uh, pine, pine needles. Is it pine or cedar? Cedar. Cedar trees. They actually, if you burn it in your home, it it also clears the air as well. Um, sweet grass is another one that you burn in the, in your room too. It's like an incense. Yeah. So pretty much. That's There's just so much. I mean, you know, when you think about some of the stuff that we do, it just comes second nature. And then when you're trying to think of like what to say, it's like, I forgot, you know? <laughs> right, but, yeah. You know, because it's so second nature, just, you know, all the stuff that we have in our homes that is just, you know, we've known about and we grew up on. So how long has the Sundance been a tradition for the Lakota? Before, before you know, before the arrival of anybody, I think it was it was our sacred yearly prayer. Oh, and is it coordinated with uh, the stars as well? It's coordinated with the season. So um, each area has their own medicine man, and he's the one that gets the prayers from the spirits on when to have the sun dance and then that's when they have it oh that's really interesting so it's a little bit unique yep like it the is. times so it's not like june 22nd everyone <laughs> all right whenever they they get the the vibe yeah so the prayer you know from the spirits to say hey but you know during the you know usually you kind of know when your community is about to do start their Sundance oh preparedness. <laughs> and you prepare for it all year as well so I'm sure it's not a date that you would forget yeah and there are <laughs> ceremonies that go along with that dur during that year you know you have different ceremonies that you have to complete you know or mm -hmm. that you might need you know a certain family might have a huge loss so you'll have a you know some sort of like ceremony for that and that's just like you go into the sweat lodge and you know get purified oh the sweat lodge is kind of like a sauna type thing where you have rocks that are brought from i think they're from wyoming or yeah from wyoming there's a place where they get their sacred rocks from and they're oh. burned inside of the, the um, sweat lodge so they use sacred rocks as well and you burn oh. it and then they put water on it Mm -hmm. and then it steams up and you sit in that and it's no bigger than this area we're, we're standing in. <laughs> I had the pleasure of being able to experience one in uh, Crestone, Colorado and my experience was like being in your mother's womb. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> what do you think it's like? I think it's very hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very hot and it's very, it really tests you. It really, it really makes you feel Push your, your human, yeah, your humanness. And it just brings out your um, insides to be, to just realize that, you know, the temperature of your body can be changed and released, you know, and, you know. And it's very healing. I'm starting to think ours wasn't hot enough. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's called a sweat lodge for a reason. Yeah. 
uh, it's really interesting the healing properties as well. I mean, I think I experienced something like that, but I wonder if they could like measure like a change um, before and after. I mean, with something like an injury, like uh, if you tear your ACL or something like that, or it's definitely more spiritually healing. Yeah. yeah. Um, which there's not a whole lot of people, like I'd say, who are deeply spiritual. You know, in, in Crestone, Colorado, it's pretty pretty standard. Like uh, that's the type of people who go there. But I mean, are are the Lakota like very deeply spiritual? Like um, in in general, I would say yes. Uh, we begin like say council meetings or any kind of meeting with prayer. Mm. We begin it with smudging. Um, even when we eat, you know, we give to, you know, the spirit. We set out a plate. We don't just eat for ourselves. We set out a plate for the spirits who have left before us. Because some of them might, you know, it's a whole thing, you know, that I don't really want to get into right now. But it is very spiritual. Everything we do, you know, has ties to who we are as people. So... What is smudging? Smudging is when you burn the sage oh. and you, you know, yourself with the, the smoke goes out and it covers everything. So when you smudge, you'll have your smudging. We have, we use a, what is that shell called? Uh, um, oyster shell. Abalone shell. Abalone. There you go. <laughs> it's an abalone shell and you put cool. the sage in there and then you burn it. And the smoke comes, and then you just take the smoke and you cover yourself like this. I need to try this at home. <laughs> but no smoking in the hotel room. They made me sign that. No. <laughs> and then, like, what are your prayers like as well? Prayers can be anything. I mean, just like any religion, you have prayers that you wanna, you want your friends to be safe, happy, healthy, mentally, physically, spiritually. You. Your prayers can be anything. Oh, I see. And you pray to uh, Creator, which we call Tunkashila. And Tunkashila just means great. Tunkashila. And then it just means like great spirit or father. Great father. However you want to interpret it. It's, we, we don't have a name for him. We, we don't um, look at him as... We don't look at him as like um, a god like Christianity. Christianity does. Um, basically, we have uh, the Greek spirit. We have Mother Earth, Father Water. You know all this and that. But where you got where Christianity has Father Jesus, Mary. We don't have that. Interesting. So, uh, what did you say about water? Water is life. So water is it's, life. It's called mini, mini, mini wachoni. Mini wachoni. So water is life. Water is, we are water. You know that, right? Yeah. So if you don't have water, you don't have life. Yep. So it's, it's a, the Lakota people see everything as having a spirit. Oh. Even rocks have a spirit. Yes. They're called iyan, which is I-N-Y-A-N, iyan. In-yan, but we say iyan. The earth is called Unchi Makab, which means Grandmother Earth. So she's a spirit. Tunkashila is 
Father. Creator. Creator. He created everything. So it's difficult to explain, but everything has a spirit in nature. Um, all of the animals, like when you go hunting, you're to, you're to say a prayer of thanks for that animal giving its life so you can feed your family. So does this appreciation have an effect on your culture as well? It does, um, but you have to understand we're still a westernized people. We still, aside from the spirituality of our, of our culture, we still have the life that we live, go to a job, raise our children, get on the internet, um, just basic stuff. And, but there is a, a knowing in who we are that we have to respect these things. It's constant, it's like a way of life. Hmm. Like my cousin here lives here in the city, but she still holds on to her Native, Native American, you know, her Lakota values. Yes, the values. That's what I was thinking of. And I think that's what we all can learn is these values and share these values for water and earth and nature because it is so important to not only today but the future. And I suppose if we want our great-grandchildren to have the same lifespan as us, we really need to learn these values. Yes. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you were able to come here and share these values that, you know, now we all can share. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I hope, you know, just, you know, I know we only touched the tip of the iceberg with the Lakota culture and history and stuff like that. I mean, there's so much more to share and you know to learn but basically what I wanted to say is that you know we're still here we still you know we have strength and you know no matter what anybody could ever say about us or think that you know about us we're still gonna be here this is our home and this is who we are and yeah that's what I wanted to share that is so beautiful. I'm so glad you're able to share that with myself and all of our listeners. And, you know, I really hope that our listeners will do a little more research and do some things that I found very fascinating, including the Battle of Little Bighorn, which um, I think is a very good statement on the U.S. government in general, where, you know, they had offered... Um, the people, the, the land, until they discovered gold on the land and then took it back and then built Mount Rushmore there. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. And the Indian Relocation Act of 1956, the Indian Termination Act, which forced Native Americans to assimilate, um, the Trail of Broken Treaties, which uh, for, I believe was in response and to losing uh, so much. And there was the 20 points that they made and they stormed the, the capital, uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs? Yeah. Yeah, BIA. BIA. Yeah, for 71 days. Yep. And they were successful. And I think 
something I can see today that shows the success is the appointment of Deb Holland as head of the Department of Interior. Yes, that was a, a major accomplishment or um, I guess you would say like a pinnacle of one of our, it like made history for all of us as Native people to see, to have visibility in, you know, in the political realm, in the White House, you know, in, in the state. Yeah. And, you know, she's done great things and I know she's done um, amazing work with the residential schools, you know, the residential Catholic schools from the Catholic, you know, um, that thing. Um, so yeah, she's made a lot of accomplishments, you know, for Native people and it's, it's just, we've had so many Native people who stepped up to be in senators and congressmen and um, state, you know, representatives. Um, we have just, there's, we are becoming more visible in mainstream media too. Oh, as you should be. I'm really excited for that. Uh, so I had two or three points that I wanted to share with the listeners um, that I found to be very interesting, um, which was part of, yeah, the 20 points uh, that the points were um, to provide relief to Native nations as compensation for treaty rights violations, restore 110 million acres of land taken away from Native nations by the United States, and I wanted to know what you thought about point 14 to abolish the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Well, that to me is interesting um, because the Bureau of Indian Affairs in history has its own, um, wait, what would you call it, like its own infamy. Hmm. And unfortunately, without the Bureau of Indian Affairs, there's programs that um, are dependent on the BIA. Some of them, most of it is education. So a lot of the schools that is funded on the reservations, they built the schools, the BIA did. They also... Um, have the fire department, um, so the rangeland fire department. So there's a lot of things within the Bureau of Indian Affairs that historically has not gone in our, like in a positive way, but also it's like a double-edged sword, if you will. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to hear that they've provided education and fire suppression. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so they also said to protect Indian religious freedom and cultural integrity and ensure immunity of Native nations from state commerce regulation, taxes, and trade restrictions, which it seems like a lot of this has been met. And I'm happy to see that, but what what do you think? I think, um, well, with the, uh, with the Indian religious freedom and cultural integrity that was actually passed in 1978 where we were actually allowed to have our ceremonies and our Sundance, our powwows, well, gatherings, gatherings, yeah, in, ni- in 1978. Oh, that is, took so long, a lot longer than you'd expect it to. Yeah, I mean, there's so much history that it's, it, again, like, we can only scratch the surface of it in, in this podcast. I can't tell you how many hours I spent researching it, just because it was so interesting, and 
yeah, I think there's a lot of good changes that are being done today. And I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So what is the relationship between Native Americans and BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs? The relationship is one of a professional type relationship, I think. Mm. And the tribe actually has control over the BIA and how it runs. So they have to answer to tribal council. The Bureau of Indian Affairs, if they have a program within the the um, boundaries of the, the tribe, they are to answer to the tribal council. That is wonderful. Yeah. So, and you know, they have to give their report and they have to make sure that they are doing what they need to to help us in a good way. Oh. So they have, the tribe keeps it accountable because of the past. It wasn't very, um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs in history, if you've ever felt like doing history on it, um, some of the things, the broken treaties and things of that nature haven't been good. So the tribe wants to make sure that they keep them accountable. Yeah, do you think that they can finally restore these broken treaties? We can only hope. <laughs> Might not be in our lifetime, but. We do have a um, prophecy um, oh. that the seventh generation will come and restore exactly what you said. So we always hope for that. I hope for that too. <laughs> yeah. So whether or not it's in our lifetime or maybe we're raising the seventh generation to come and restore it back to, the prophecy actually comes from Crazy Horse. He's the one that actually said that. Oh. That there'll be a time where the seventh generation will come and um, make peace with everybody in this land. So I hope that's, you know, in our lifetime, but you know, for now, what we do is we just keep our traditions and culture and our identity, our sacred ceremonies, protect what we can, um, and be, just be good neighbors, you know, and cause you know, that's not really something that we do even now, you know, there's so much division and, uh, <sighs> It would be so nice to just, you know, remember that, you know, we're all human and we're all related. That's one of our philosophies for the Lakota culture is we are all related. Yes. That is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like as the United States, we are divided in so many ways with every state being sovereign and every tribe being sovereign. When are we fully going to be united in just in terms of water treatment and water pollution? That's a huge issue that's, you know, it was attempted to be addressed by the Clean Water Act. And I'm sure you know a lot from your job and I'm interested in seeing what your personal experience has been with that. Yeah, um, our, where I work, they actually are required to provide clean water and facilities, um, septic facilities for each tribal member, free of charge. The U.S. government pays for that, for installation and everything. And it is one of the old, it, it is one of the treaties that um, the government still upholds to provide us with clean water, um, just all the sanitation um, requirements that we must use to live, that we need to live. That's good to hear. 
Um, are there any challenges with that? Always, there's always challenges. I mean, <laughs> with any job, there are um, different um, anomalies that come up. And, um, you know, for example, on our tribe, we're having trouble with housing. Um, a lot of our people, we, we're pop our population is growing and we can't keep up with the housing, the need for housing, safe housing. So we have housing units from the 70s and 80s that are still established, that are still, people are still living there with three to four family members in each house. And it's just like, we just, we have a need for housing on our reservation. There's needs everywhere, but in my line of work, if we had um, basic housing for our tribal members, a lot of the um, disparities, I think, would lessen. Absolutely. They need to get some civil engineers over there. Huh? <laughs> well, I thank you so much for your time today, and I really appreciate all of the information that you've shared, and I'm really excited to learn more. And yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to share? All I have to say is, you know, when you're out there in the world and you experience or see a native person, you know, look them, look at them and smile at them and, you know, know that, you know, we are all related, so. Um, we're just, not gonna hurt you. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're seeking visibility over anything. So, thank you for having me. Oh. My pleasure. And thank you for having my cousin too. She is she accompanied me. Oh, of course. And I can't wait to learn more on the next episode of Honest Unearthing. <laughs>